Phew! Oh, man! What a vacation! Oh, I tell you, friends, if you ask this old fat guy and a skinny guy in a red shirt to take on a three-hour tour, you expect a three-hour tour! Oh, not a... Not a three-month, three-year... Oh, jeez. It was insane! The plus side, there was this really hot redhead and brunette. Oh, yeah. But the weird thing is, we kept finding all these, like, uh, uh, celebrities from the 70s stopping by, and they would get rescued, keep telling us that we would be rescued, and they never, ever sent anyone back. Neither the celebrities or the people who picked them up. What a load of jerks, honestly. But anyhow, we're back on the mainland. I'm glad to be back. Harley's back on the mixer, you know, and we are looking forward to this. And, hey, wait, wait a second. Harley, did did you leave this card on the desk? That, that's pretty cool. I, I appreciate it. Let, let's see what it says. Let's see what this card says. Uh-huh. Opening it up. It says, open your web browser and click play. Huh. Well, I'm just going to ignore the fact that my cat knows how to write. So, let's open up my web browser. Click, click. Okay, and we are going to click play, and let's see what we've got. Ooh, spaceships! I like spaceships. Really? Oh, it's four! Oh, okay. Yeah, that that would suck losing your hammer. Uh huh. Oh, wow! In a 24-hour period, that's pretty cool. We've got the Hulk! Oh yeah! I'm so happy! Thank you, Harley! <laughs> Ooh, it went green. I like that. Dude, I was the Hulk! Ooh, we have a lot of dead guys. All the death and destruction. Oh, lots of dead Valkyries. Hella just right there. Love the rock. Oh, Scourge looks awesome. They just fist bumped. Hulk and Thor fist bumped. Oh, Hulk looks great. Hey, Loki. Uh, weren't you like on Asgard? Like as Odin? Speaking of Okay, break out the, uh... Ooh, Hulk fighting a giant wolf. I, I am not opposed to this. God of Thunder has returned. Oh, I'm looking forward to this. Wait. When does Hulk talk? Hulk talks now. Woohoo! Okay, 
Uh, thank you, Harley. Thank you. <laughs> oh, wow. That, that was a great way to start the show out. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, boy. Oh, man. Oh, after watching that awesome trailer, there has been so many great comic book movies this year that I want to talk about them. And I also want to talk about some of my favorite comic book movies of all time. So, you know, let's hop into, let's dress up, put on our nice tuxedo, and let's hop in the limousine and travel down Hollywood Boulevard, and let's go to the movies. <laughs> Harley, cue the music. Let's talk comic book movies, friends. Oh, man, there have been so many great ones, starting with the pretty much the resurgence of comic book movies in 2008 with Iron Man. Heart, can you believe that's almost been 10 years now? <laughs> yeah, I know. It scares me. So, but before, so when I was growing up, though, comic book movies weren't the billion-dollar business and flagship tentpole movies that they are today. So you kids, you young ones, listen, you don't know how lucky you are. So, let, so let's gather around the campfire and let old Grandpa Aaron tell you a story about a man named... This is not a story about a man named Jeb. Sorry, anytime I can get a... Yeah, I'll be cutting all that out. Woohoo! So, back when I was growing up, well, even before I was born... Comic book movies have been around for a long time. That were the comic book uh, Batman and Superman serials of the 30s, 40s. Uh, the Batman movie of the 1966 television show, which, yes, did get a theatrical release. Then, probably the biggest comic book movie, and my personal favorite, Harley, you know which theme, just hit number one. Superman the movie. Mm. I mean, what what more can I add to this instant classic that hasn't been said? This, for an entire generation, cemented who the character of Superman is, and 
for coming generations as to who Superman is. In fact, it cemented it so firmly that whenever there's a comic book revamp of Superman, DC seems to ignore these plot points from this movie. Oh, sure, they'll do the Crystal Fortress and all the and the glowy white robes of Krypton and you know all the alien stuff but when it comes to the personality of Clark Kent a lot of times in recent years DC has completely missed the boat I'm not gonna go into that rant because well I just don't want to I don't want to bring the show down <laughs> but Superman and then Superman 2 now whether or not you prefer the original theatrical cut or the Donner cut it doesn't matter to me because it's still a great movie regardless of which cut you've watched and in fact I've seen fan edits on the internet that have spliced some of the best things of each one um, for example like the Donner cut for a lot of the action sequences are great but like the um, scene where Clark where, Clark, where Superman is outside the Daily Planet office and he looks the general in the eye and he says, you know, in the original cut, General, would you care to step outside for a moment? You just go, you know, it, he gives, a, I forget the exact line, but it's nowhere near as powerful. Well, they took the action scenes of the Donner cut and threw in the better line from the original theatrical release. So, you know, there's fan edits out there. I don't know how to find them. I've used to, but now I can't remember because it's been about five years. <laughs> So, if you start Googling, I'm sure you can find anything. It's, it's the internet. <laughs> then we started going downhill a little with, I hate to say this, but with Superman 3, Superman 4, and Supergirl. Now, they're not bad movies or awful movies, in my opinion, because no matter how bad they are, effects-wise or whatever, they have Christopher Reeve as Superman. So no matter how bad a movie can be, with Christopher Reeve as Superman, it immediately gets at least a C average because he's, you know, A+. plus. <laughs> so after that, comic book movies kind of went away for a little bit. There were a lot of TV, made-for-TV movies. Um, some movies were made just to keep uh, certain companies having their film rights. But for the most part, that was about it. And then came 
again, what more can I say? Sure, some of the effects are kind of cheesy. A lot of the story points don't make any sense upon reviewing and reconsidering it. But, you know, it's just a fun movie. You can tell Michael Keaton's having fun. You can tell, certainly tell Jack Nicholson's having fun being over the top. Vicki Vale, yes, she's the weak link in the movie. And there's some weird stuff. Like, I never really understood why after... Vicky and Bruce uh, spent the night together. She wakes up and Bruce is hanging by his ankles off that bracket thing like a bat. I just, I never understood that at all. I mean, you, you have a hot blonde in your bed, Bruce. Why, why would you never, why would you leave that? That, I, it does not compute. Then again, I'm a single guy, but still, hot, naked blonde in your bed. Why would you leave that? <coughs> so, Again, and probably one of my biggest beefs with that movie and the sequel, Batman Returns, is the killer Batman. I just, I've never, ever liked Batman trying to kill people. And in the Tim Burton movies, it's blatant how he kills people. Granted, now, so say what you want about the Schumacher films, and we'll be getting to those in just a minute, but at least Batman never killed anyone in those. Or set them on fire, or tied a bomb to them. I mean, seriously, why? What? At that point in time, Batman would have been a legitimate target for the police, just for the massive amounts of, you know, murder. But uh, then came another movie in 1993 called Mask of the Phantasm. Oh, and friends, you know how much I love this movie. Just go back a couple episodes to episode 21, Mask of the Phantasm, and me, Scott McGregor, and Chris Tyler managed to turn a 75-minute movie into a three-hour-plus discussion. So, yeah, that that just... We gushed about that for a long time. It, it, head back there, check it out. It's a great episode. It's one of the... It's one of the best times I've ever had just talking about one of my favorite movies of all time. If Superman is my number one, Mask of the Phantasm is my number two of all time. Now, I won't say top Marvel movie, top DC movie, but top comic book movie of all time. Because I, do, I don't even put those in the running for top Marvel and top DC movies because they're, they're just uh, cemented in where they are. They're, they're just out of the running. They're, they're, so really... My number one Marvel and number one DC is always at, like, number three on my list. So, there we go. Now, again, we start to get a little dip in comic book movies. Batman Returns was really scary and weird. It was Tim Burton going full-on Tim Burton, and I think Warner Brothers said, Ooh, we messed up. So, Tim Burton was let go, and Joel Schumacher entered the picture with Batman Forever. Now, this was the first Batman movie I ever saw in the theaters. Oh, I tell you, the lead-up to this was immense for little 10-year-old Aaron. Um, I had all the um, sticker books. I had the little junior novelization for my uh, Scholastic Book Fair, which actually added a lot more scenes to the movie that I didn't, that really fleshed out characters, so if I can ever track down the actual novelization, I, I want to I wanna read that. Now, I'll never forget this. I went to there, 
I went to the movie wearing my Batman and Rob Forever t-shirt. It had Batman and Robin swinging um, through Gotham City with tons of bats. There was a big green, the big green question mark in like the lower left corner. Um, there wasn't two vase on it, I don't think, but you know, it was just awesome. So I'm sitting there completely mesmerized by watching Batman on the big screen. Oh. It, in fact, Batman Forever was the first first DVD we ever bought as a family when, when DVDs first started coming out. That was the first DVD we ever bought. Then came Batman and Robin. Oh, boy. Batman and Robin. Now, I'm, I know what you're saying. Oh, this is what killed comic book movies. No, this is just what made Batman toxic for movies for a while. The uh, the killing of comic book movies as a genre was just down the corner. But as bad as it is, and believe me, it's bad, we had Alicia Silverstone in it, and, and I'm a sucker for Alicia Silverstone, so it's, it's a D plus to C minus movie. The whole movie was based to sell toys, and that's why, I mean, it didn't even make sense. We, we finally get, because think about this, the third act, Batgirl is suited up, she beats Poison Ivy, so she's wearing her costume for all of like 10 minutes of screen time, and then she immediately gets this Arctic weather Batgirl suit. What? You, you couldn't even keep her in the original costume for more than 10 minutes? Uh, anyhow, anyhow, and... There were significant changes to her character. I just, I did not agree with <laughs> Alfred's knees. <laughs> Bad credit card. <laughs> Bad credit card. <laughs> Bad credit card. <laughs> okay, okay. My therapist said, go to your happy place. Go to your happy place. Go to your happy place. Da, 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 da. <laughs> so, comic book movies started to decrease in quality. And then started coming the bombs, such as Spawn. Um, oh, uh, what was after Spawn? Oh, Steel. <laughs> Steel starring Shaquille O'Neal. Yeah, we don't have the. We, we're not going to make a Superman movie. We're going to make a Steel movie. And the Steel costume looked more rubbery than, you know, actual body armor. So, yeah, it's just. Oh, that is what killed superhero movies. Just just trust me on this. Don't don't even attempt to watch that movie. The only cool part is we get like a really butt kicking Oracle character who's not Oracle, but she should be Oracle. <laughs> but even then, it doesn't redeem the movie nearly at all. And then came some well a, a few more rises in the it, it's an interesting sine wave of <laughs> how comic book movies have uh, gone up and down over, over the past few decades. Because after Steel, comic book movies pretty much died for, for a while. But then in 2000 came Brian Singer's X-Men. And we've got a pitch-perfect, you know, Hugh Jackman. It put him on the map. Um, it made and it made comic book movies cool again. So after X-Men, then came Spider-Man. And then after Spider-Man came X-2, then Fantastic Four. We, so we went down a little bit in quality. Now, Fantastic Four is not an awful movie. The guy playing Doctor Doom is not Doctor Doom. 
but the relationship between uh, the thing and Johnny Storm, and you know, seeing pre Captain America Chris Evans as you know just this prankster teen, you know, college kid. Chris Evans is one heck of an actor. I mean, he he can do serious like Cap, but then you know you get the college frat boy Johnny. So he has a range. It's it's really it's really amazing if you see him in other films where he's not in comic books. You know, it can actually be said I think that Chris Evans is the most prolific actor in comic book movies because he's done roles in um, TMNT as Casey Jones. And he's also done uh, a major, he was played a major character in The Losers. Now, The Losers is a very underrated movie. I only saw it once in theaters, but I can't, and I don't know if it's still on Netflix, but if you can find it at your local library, at your Redbox, or just, you know, your $5 bargain bid, buy the movie. It is just plain awesome. You've got Harry Dean Morgan, who's probably most famous right now, is playing Negan from the uh, Walking Dead series, or as uh, Thomas Wayne from BV, from Batman v Superman for all of the five minutes of screen time, or more, probably most famous as the comedian from Watchmen. However, <clears throat> excuse me, however, so we're at Fantastic Four, then we hit Spider-Man 2, and suddenly comic book movies are intense, they're amazing, they're awesome. And then we started getting a little bit of a decline with Fantastic Four, Rise of the Silver Surfer, and Spider-Man 3. Now, Spider-Man 3 isn't a horrible movie. For a really good in-depth review, listen to a commentary done by Michael Bailey and Andrew Leyland from, um, on Views from the Long Box, which can be found at viewsfromthelongbox.com. And, yeah, they aren't afraid to point out the flaws of Spider-Man 3, but there's a lot more good in there than... I was ever willing to give it credit for it, so definitely check that out. It's at viewsfromthelongbox.com. And so we're, we're down to Spider-Man 3, and uh, then we get some of the more crummier Marvel movies with Daredevil, which Ben Affleck is good in, Jennifer Garner, not my choice for Elektra, but yeah, we'll... <laughs> Gal Gadot had not been f invented yet. <laughs> we'll get into that in just a minute. <laughs> so then we go, you know, Daredevil, Ghost Rider. Yeah, we're we're starting we're starting to <laughs> we're starting to go down. The ship's going down. The ship's going down. But then comes and then we get X three. So we're starting to really really lose any and all hope now <laughs> then all of a sudden comes robert downey jr and an unknown you know studio <laughs> you know marvel decided hey we, we can't do any worse we're going to form our own film studio we're going to put this guy named john favreau in charge he's going to direct this movie and we're going to do this movie and we're going to do an incredible hulk movie with edward norton and we're just you know we can't do any worse right well all of a sudden here they come soaring like eagles the Phoenix is rising, and the Marvel Cinematic Universe is born. And geeks everywhere lose their minds at a certain end tag to that movie. Incredible Hulk is vastly underrated in my opinion. There's a lot of plot threads Marvel has left dangling. I want them addressed, but I don't think it's ever going to happen. I guess there's rights issues between uh, Universal, who owns the rights, and... That's, yeah, you may have noticed I forgot to mention another movie starring The Incredible Hulk. Yeah, that movie never existed now. <laughs> so, 
we have the Incredible Hulk, and then we have Thor, which I thought was never going to work, but it did, and it worked beautifully, and introduced, you know, all the ladies to, hey, how's it going, Thor, and hey, how's it going, Loki? So, then, you know, we are just off into the stratosphere with then Iron Man 2, Thor 2, and then the Avengers, and... You know, when the director himself states on public record, this should not have worked, and not only did it work, it shattered box office records. It cemented that comic book movies are here to stay. Audiences want this. Audiences will keep coming. If you tell us good stories, we're going to keep giving you our money. Now, post-Avengers, it's been five years. I think I can say this. A lot of companies have tried to imitate the Marvel model with their own cinematic universes, and for the most part, they have failed miserably. Now, that said, they tend to fail by trying to shove too much too fast and not build things up. Marvel took literally, what, let's see, you know, 2008, it took four years for Marvel to get to the point of Avengers. Everyone else has tried to shove everything into the equivalent of, you know, five movies before the Avengers into one or two, and it has failed miserably. So, I don't want to offer any negativity as to certain other properties, like the Distinguished Competition. <sighs> nope, not my therapist said go to my happy place. Go to my happy place. <laughs> so... I mean, what can you say? Comic book movies are here to stay. We just finished some of the mo and some of the most craziest stuff in comic book movies I have seen in this year. And it just again, the box office numbers prove comic book movies are here to stay. And you know, there's been so many great movies. I'm going to talk about them, but you know, I've been called out on Facebook a few times about spoiling things that I don't have a um, clear enough warning for spoilers. So I listened to my feedback and as a result, Harley pushed the big red button. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. So I think that should make it clear that for the rest of the show, it's going to be a lot of spoilers. Now, what movies are we going to be talking about? Well, I want to talk about Logan, Guardians of the Galaxy 2, and 1. So I guess, really, I should say 1 and 2, but, you know, I saw 2 and then I rewatched 1. So, anyhow. <laughs> and we're going to talk about... Now, this really isn't a comic book movie, but there is a comic series franchise with this property, so I'm making it count. War for the Planet of the Apes. Oh, now, <clears throat> as I mentioned, spoilers are going about to abound, so real quick, if you're still listening, you can, if you haven't seen these movies, go see them right now. But as of right now, again, spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Okay, so let's talk about Logan. Well, to put it 
in the easiest terms I can. I went and saw it, and I wasn't blown away by it. That said, it's a great story. The performances by Hugh Jackman and Patrick Stewart are absolutely perfect. Um, to give you a little brief synopsis, Professor Xavier has developed either a form of brain degeneration or Alzheimer's, and he's no longer in full control of his mental powers. So one day in a um, seizure, he pretty much wiped out all of the X-Men and most of Westchester, New York, and the only one who survived was Logan because of the healing factor. So the story opens way late in the future. Logan is uh, also dying because his adamantium skeleton is poisoning his body and his healing factor just can't keep up anymore, which is nice. It's a nice little um, story beat. So he's hiding the professor in like this lead uh, water tower, just trying to, I guess, steel water tower because a lead water tower. Yeah, that never mind. And just trying to keep him, and they're in the middle of nowhere, so he's trying to keep any residual damage uh, to a minimum, and he's uh, going to black market dealers, underground dealers, um, just trying to get medicine to keep um, pretty much the professor pretty much sedated. It appears that his whole goal is working as this limo driver so he can save up enough money to buy a boat, take the professor out in the middle of the ocean where no one can be hurt, and let the professor live out his remaining days. And then after that's done, he has one adamantium bullet and he's going to use it and, and his misery as well. It's To say Logan is a dark movie is doing it a disservice. It's a good movie, but it's it's a dark movie. Don't come out of this with a hopeful yay expression. And also, the best part of this movie is uh, X-23. That little girl, the actress they got, she is wonderful. She emotes... She, she plays Laura so well, it's... It's a definitive role. I hope that she comes back for another story. Now, it has a fitting end, and there, there's one scene where Patrick Stewart, in a moment of lucidity, just want they're they're at this farmhouse, and he just wants his family to have a nice dinner with this other family who kind of helped them out on the road. And they helped out. It, It's complicated. I'm not going to go into too much detail. Because, again, you should see the, this movie. And it's been a while since I've seen it. I don't want to mess up any important plot points. But just right after that dinner scene, he's in his bedroom. And he finally remembers what he did. Because this whole time, he's a, in his uh, muddled mind thought that Logan was responsible for the death of all the X-Men, but when he realizes it was him, oh, I have never seen a man break down like that. It was, it, it's a heart-wrenching scene. It's a heart-wrenching movie. Um, a lot of people came out blown away by it, and I think it was more the performances than the plot. The plot wasn't really that 
long, uh, that deep and detailed. It's and, and I had some nitpicks with the plot as to who the main villain was, how we had a flip fr from the main villain to another villain, and how all these kids who are mutants who have been raised from birth to be weapons like X-23 at the sudden look of having to use their powers in combat freak out. Now, I can understand. Now you say, oh, they're just kids. They, they would do the you would freak out too with guys with guns, wouldn't you? Yes, I would. And normal kids, yes, they should run away. But these are kids who have been groomed, whose whole reason for existence is being groomed from birth to be weapons. They should all be as emotionless and cold-hearted as Laura. So when they just kind of start running around and not really doing anything until they finally get one guy who's so beat up anyway it's not hard to finish him off, it's it's kind of anticlimactic to me anyway. And the whole thing of... Well, mutants are wiped out in America, but are they wiped out in the rest of the world? Why are they going to this place? How, why are there even X-Men comic books in this world? Uh, it, there, there's too many questions I have to that my I just couldn't shut off my geek brain. And that's all I can say, plot-wise. So I focus more on the characters. Also, you know, one big exposition dump we got on... The background of Laura and all these uh, Weapon X kids. This woman had like the most steady hands ever and with a cell phone. She records all this stuff in this top secret laboratory. Now, I'm sorry, they won't even let you use a cell phone in a hospital. This is a top secret, you know, black ops, off the books, military project. No way you should have a cell phone anywhere near this building. I'm sure they would have confiscated it. Um, just like what, kind of like what we saw in The Dark Knight, where Alfred goes in and he's like, oh, uh, you can't take your cell phone into this building, it's all secrets. Oh, okay. So, yeah, that I had an issue with that plot point. Now, this movie does deserve its rating. It is Wolverine completely and totally unleashed. So, a guy with six knives shooting out of his hands does what a guy with six knives shooting out of his hands can do. And the same is true with Laura. So when the two of them start tag-teaming these bad guys, it's, uh, well, <laughs> they could do a hibachi chef proud, I'll say that. Um, the, the violence and the gore is worthy of the rating. Now, I don't mean to be a stickler in the mud, but when I went and saw it, there were a bunch of six- and seven-year-olds sitting right in the row behind me. I'm uncomfortable with that, but, you know, I'm not their parents, so I'm not going to make a judgment on that, but I just, uh, it, it, it was not what I would have wanted to have seen. Um, maybe a little older. So, Logan, while everybody's blown away, I just came around out of it going, it, it's okay, I enjoyed it. So, it, don't take that as a criticism. I just didn't get blown away as everyone else did. Um, maybe because when I go to see a superhero movie, I just I like to see more upbeat stories and not downbeat stories. So that teaches are Now that said, is it better than the source material it's based on? Absolutely. Because a lot of people say, oh, it's Old Man Logan, it's Old Man Logan. No, has anyone ever read that story who says that? No, it's nowhere Old Man Logan. In fact, Old Man Logan never should have worked. And why, may you ask? Well, here's the main thing. Now, 
I'm just going to talk about this story real brief. Old Man Logan takes place in a story where all the villains get together and they win. They managed to trick all the superheroes. Basically, they did what Marvel did in this crossover in the 80s called Acts of Vengeance, where Marvel swapped up a lot of villains from their normal, uh, you know, heroes that they fight against. So different people were suddenly fighting different people, you know, kind of mixed up a bit, which is a good idea. Well, this was pretty much Acts of Vengeance where the villains won. Now, they had Mysterio trick Wolverine into killing all of the X-Men with his powers of illusion. Okay, when I first reading that story, I'm like, you know, that is brilliant. That makes absolute sense. But here's the problem. And I think the writer completely forgot about this. Logan has an intensely keen sense of smell. He can even find out, you know, if a shapeshifter is mystique or not just by their scent. So even if there's illusions... He's still going to know, I'm stabbing Cyclops, I'm stabbing Gene, I'm stabbing Rogue, I'm stabbing Colossus, Nightcrawler, Jubilee. And I'm sorry, no matter how well-trained Jubilee is, she would not have lasted to be the last X-Man in the fight against Wolverine. No, that, no. No. So, yeah, there were a lot of issues with Old Man Logan. And so we'll, we'll just table that and move on. Overall, I give it a... I'd watch it maybe once in a while, but I wouldn't go out of my way to watch it. I'll put it on that. If it's on cable or HBO and I'm flipping through channels, I would stay and leave it on the screen and watch it. I wouldn't even do anything else. I would actually watch the movie. So that, that's what I'll say about that. Now... Let's move into some Guardians talk. Oh, this I'm more excited about because this is what I wanted. See, again, I wasn't thrilled on the first Guardians. But, and this is probably the biggest compliment I can give to the movie, it made me go back and rewatch Guardians 1, and I enjoyed it more because I saw more than I did in the first time. Like, you know the, uh, 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 His name is completely escaping me right now. Yondu. Yeah. You know Yondu's sidekick who instigates the mutiny in the second movie? Yeah, I completely forgot. He shows up all the time in the first movie. Yeah, he's right there with Yondu as his right-hand guy. So he's been there since movie one, and I completely missed that. So there's... The best way I can enjoy a sequel is it doesn't replace the original it enhances the original now some people might say oh it's the empire strikes back and believe me yeah, i won't put it in that category empire strikes back and return of the jedi and star wars sit in their own little world to me but this is definitely one of those times where the sequel may be if not better than the original on an even keel now Depending on this, you can actually it can, the pendulum can swing both ways to better and even keel. So it's it's that final line with this one because we had so much character development, and that's what a good second movie does. The first movie is always the origin, getting the team together, and having a good story. And the fact that we had laughter and jokes and stuff with the first one really brought home how much I enjoyed it, but then we get to the second one and we start really getting into the characters more, and that's what appeals to me. And there were so many great things. Um, the scene between um, Mantis and Drax is just 
heart-wrenching. You know, they're, they're sitting on Yondu's planet, on Ego's planet. Well, I guess technically it is Ego itself, but that, yeah, we'll just say on Ego's planet. And there's, you know, you know the scene, they're staring at the fountain, and she's talking, and and he's just, you know, this reminds me of the times I was been with my daughter. Now, he is solid as a rock, completely, you know, stone-faced, and her powers are that she's an empath. She can sense, she touches someone, and she can sense their emotional state. When she... Light, she doesn't even put her full hand on Drax. She just lightly touches him, and t she is just immediately sobbing because she's being the wi our window into Drax's mind with this, and it is truly heart-wrenching and heartbreaking. And just... It, I don't even know if I want to go into full synopses on these movies just because they're all so good. Um... The opening scene. Who would have thought that a little baby tree literally stole the end credits? I mean, you, you, we see the, them gearing up for this big alien battle that we saw in the trailers. So we're like, oh, okay, this is going to be an awesome battle. Well, then all of a sudden we get this big dance number with Baby Groot with the opening credits. And the whole big opening battle is in the background. And it's just brilliant. Um... So I actually watched the movie twice. The first time I'm focused on Groot, and the second time I'm watching the battle in the background. So it all depends on what you want to watch. And you'll always pick up something new. And it, it, it's just, it's fun. It's fun. And then we get into the gold people, the sovereigns, uh, and Rocket Trash talking them, and also a great cameo by Ben Browder from Far Farscape and SG-1 fame. I'm so happy. Now all we need is Claudia Black, and I'll be like, So... So we get a nice little Farscape cameo, and, you know, some people like the arcade things, uh, sounds that the bad guys' drones made, others didn't. I didn't mind it. I thought it was funny. And it was also, it's a smart move, because you have, you can have this massive army, and you don't lose a single soldier, you just lose drone ships, which is kind of a comment on, you know, manned versus unmanned aircraft. In, in the real world, so, you know, take that as you will. Now, a another funny bit was the, uh, when the gold people went to talk to the Ravagers on the, uh, I guess the pleasure world, the, the ice world, whatever, and first off, how heavy and thick was that carpet when they first started rolling it out, and, you know, then it gets stuck, and they're just going, eh, eh, eh. I mean, that's a funny moment. I laugh at that. And then, <laughs> what, did they just leave it there? Or did they, did those poor women have to roll the whole thing back up on the way? Because I think this carpet stretched for miles. So I'll just go with unstable molecules that are lightweight. I, I just, I couldn't imagine any being, no matter how physically strong you are. I mean, you have to be as strong as a Hulk to carry a carpet a mile long, you know, all rolled up. And... It was, I didn't know who uh, Sylvester Stallone was playing, but once I started uh, hearing other podcasts and find out that this whole, the whole end credits with him and the other uh, Ravagers was the original 1970s comic book Guardians of the Galaxy, uh, well, Guardians, okay, that was a nice little callback. And, you know, Miley Cyrus as just a talking robot head, I can live with. Now... The main thrust of the story is Peter and 
uh, ego. You know, Peter meeting his dad and his the whole movie I think actually could be summed up with family relationships. We have Rocket finding you know pretty much his brother in Yondu. We have Drax and Mantis as a father daughter relationship. Gamora and Nebula as with their really fractured sister relationship and the great running gag of the fruit that's not ripe and then she finally the nebula takes a bite of it and spits out and goes it's not ripe i mean i loved that i love i loved running gags and now i think the whole gamora nebula relationship got resolved a little too quick i mean in one minute they're shooting each other with spaceship guns and the next all i wanted was a sister Oh, we'll hug it out and bang, we're we're buddies now. Oh, okay. I mean, <laughs> I can understand fighting with your sister, and you know you've known her the whole all your life, so okay. But then we get Peter and his dad, and uh, Kurt Russell was great as Ego, the villain. Now, one thing I watched this with my mom, and one thing she pointed out to me that I completely missed is if you think about it, on Ego's planet, which is you know Ego himself. There is not a single living thing on it except for Mantis and the uh, Guardians. Yeah, I Eagle doesn't allow anything to live on himself uh, that doesn't serve his pur a purpose for his needs. So that was a huge like little foretaste of what Ego's grand plan is of turning the universe entirely into just uh, I guess offshoots of himself or things under his control it, I, I didn't really understand it but you know basically it was galactic domination where everything becomes himself and this had to have been a long-term plan because we saw dozens of worlds the, the death count in this movie is insane because while we see you know destruction on earth and uh, Xandar Prime and a few other planets, you know, things like that were going on all over the galaxy. So hundreds of thousands, if not millions, perhaps even billions of lives were lost. Now, do I wish we could have gotten a scroll cameo in this movie? Absolutely. But especially since it's been confirmed that in the upcoming Captain Marvel movie, we're going to have scrolls, which again is really. Uh, think, look, look, I'm just going to tangent. Tangent about time real quick. We have seen Inhumans. We have seen a whole series coming with the original, and not just, you know, scattered Inhumans no one really cares about, but we're seeing an upcoming series with the main Inhumans anyone knows about. Black Bolt, Medusa, Lockjaw, and to a lesser extent, Maximus, Trigon, and Karnak. So... We see that. We've got Black Panther. Now we're having the Kree and the Skrulls coming. We've had the Eternals. I am really thinking Marvel is somehow pushing to get a Fantastic Four into this universe. And I'd be so happy. Now, my personal theory as to how to get the Fantastic Four in the Marvel Universe is this. We know that there were superheroes in the 60s and 70s but from like Ant-Man and things. So my idea would be that we have the Fantastic Four in the 1960s fighting Doctor Doom at his castle in Latveria and he activates his time platform and they immediately, you know, they're fighting and they come right into 
our day and that's you know how we get into get them into our day so they can hang out with you know the avengers and stuff because you know they're marvel's first family they carried the torch post world war ii and that that's just how i would i would do it but you know i'm not a marvel i'm not a writer or but that's just my little little idea and also apparently we are getting a doctor doom movie uh from fox so that's cool I'm sure Professor Allen is going to be there for the midnight showing. <laughs> um, if he doesn't have a heart attack first, I'm not sure. So, Peter Kurt Russell is great as the bad guy. I didn't really understand why Ego needed Mantis to help him sleep. I mean, why... why that does it So it quiets his mind or something? His mind is busy all the time, so he needs an empath to to quiet it so he can sleep i, I just i never really understood it but i went with it because hey they're literally fighting a giant planet and they got the story right as to how you could fight a planet because you know when the very ground you're walking on is trying to kill you that's a big deal because you know nothing you're on is safe in fact the very air you breathe could instantly kill you so it, it's a very intriguing concept of what do you do when your villain is a planet and you don't have Galactus to eat it. Now, and in fact, you don't even have Galactus to do that anymore from what I've heard in recent comics is he's now um, no longer the destroyer of worlds but the life bringer of worlds, which is pretty cool. I'm glad Galactus is doing what... Because apparently he never wanted to be the bad guy. He never wanted to serve the cosmic purpose as the devourer of worlds and but i'm glad i'm glad he's do, doing what he is doing so that's guardians uh again i love the movie we don't get a lot of space action um because this is really just them fighting ego um so we don't have any really big space battles Oh, and for anyone who ever jokes about, oh, let's throw a guy out the airlock, we find out, even though there's no official scientific proof as to what happens to a body that is ejected into space, we get a pretty clear visual representation of what a lot of people think would happen, and yeah, it's not something to laugh about. So, it's definitely a darker movie. I mean, we see lots that... It's, it's a, it is... In the Guardians sense, The Empire Strikes Back is just as Empire Strikes Back was the darker movie of the of the star, original Star Wars trilogy. This is definitely the darker act of the. I guess they go. They are going for a, a three movie trilogy, if not more. So, I I will be putting that on the most definitely to buy list. Let's and I, I said I was going to talk apes, but what what else did I see this year? There was Guardians. Well, Lego Batman, but Lego Batman was a while ago, and I talked a little bit about that in my in my uh, Phantasm review. So let let's uh, let's go into War for the Planet of the Apes. Now, first off, check out my fellow podcaster Paul Spataro on Is It Jaws. He just did with Saki Hassan, uh, a friend of his, a good friend of his, a two movie review, 
two episodes that review first Dawn of the Planet of the Apes and Rise of the Planet of the Apes and really offered some great insight. And it, Paul had the same problem with the first movie I did because, again, my mom pointed it out, if, you know, Caesar's mom is so carefully studied and measured and all these apes are, you know, being monitored, how did no scientist know that his mother was pregnant with Caesar at that time? So, you know... It, yeah that that's and if that's the only nitpick in the movie that's a good nitpick now war for the planet of the apes it's a jaw-dropping movie in the best sense in fact it's not really a war for the planet of the apes in what we think of as we saw in the trailers you know apes shooting and fighting each other no no that's actually something completely different it's more the war of soul. I, I think we could say it war for the soul of the planet. Because it's really the story of C Caesar becoming, in all honesty, a Moses figure, a deliverer. We see in the trailers, you know, soldiers attack his home. Well, in the fighting, his wife and oldest son are killed. Yeah, remember the oldest son that we really liked and enjoyed in the last movie? Yeah, he dies. That was a that's a huge shock. And he had but he does have a second son. Remember the little baby we saw in the last movie? Well, his name is Cornelius. <laughs> yes, we uh that's a, again another big nod to the fans. So, Caesar decides it's time to take the apes we have to find a safe place so he orders all of the apes to leave to this path in the mountains while he goes and gets revenge for his family well his best friends maurice rocket and a gorilla who i completely forget his name um decide to join caesar despite his orders to help you know get his revenge and it turns out that through the course of the movie, they meet this, well, they find this little girl who's gone mute because apparently the virus that uh, all the people still have, because even though they're, they have a natural immunity for the virus, that's how they're still alive, it's still in their bodies. Well, eventually that virus mutated, and now humans are losing the ability to speak. They're losing some of their higher brain functions, like we see in the original Planet of the Apes movie. So whether or not this is actually canon to those Planet of the Apes movies, I don't know, but you can make a strong case for. So the Woody Harrelson character, the colonel, has pretty much gone full-on insane. He's killed any human being who's showing uh, symptoms for this disease. He's he, his own man. He's he, the fact the first victim is his own son, and he pulls the trigger himself, and that leads him down this path of madness. And so we find this little girl, and she is. This is going to sound weird. She is Caesar's last remaining link to the humanity in him. And I know that sounds weird because he's a, an ape, but he it, in this movie, you forget that you know it's a chimpanzee, a orangutan, a gorilla, 
and I, oh, Rocket's a, another chimpanzee. So you, but you forget that these are apes. You think of them as actual people, as human beings, and that's a testament to both the storytelling, the actors' abilities in the CGI motion capture suits, uh, a testament to the Weta Workshop and their ability to bring these characters to life through the computer uh, imagery. So it's if this movie doesn't get nominated for an at least nominated for an Oscar for Best Visual Effects, somebody severely messed up in the Oscar nomination process. And eventually the story becomes that while Caesar and them are away, all his, all his people, all of his ape family have been captured by the colonel and are now being forced into slavery to build like these defensive walls because apparently the what remains of the U.S. military is not agreeing with the colonel and his draconian methods of containing this virus so they're coming to stop him and that's actually what this war scenes we see in the movie are there's no big war or battle that between apes and humans like we saw in the last movie or even apes versus apes this this is all these battle scenes are strictly between remnants of the U.S. military and the colonel and his forces, and his forces have gone completely around the bend as well. At one point, you think there's this character who's going to have a bit of a turn, turn, heel turn into a redemptive arc or something else, but no, he doesn't change, and he gets a, uh, well, a grenade to the face. And it's it's a beautifully told story because it becomes pretty much a again like i said moses figure because caesar then has to he becomes he's willing to endure torture starvation dehydration so that his people can survive he's willing to endure endure any kind of humiliation um he's willing to stand up for his people and take the punishment you know beatings and whippings so it, it, it's truly an amazing story. And at the end of the movie, the apes have this very wonderful, like almost escape from Stalag 17 escape plan. I don't want to spoil too much in the movie, but the, the apes uh, do get free. And, you know, that's why I did put the spoiler alert tag way at the beginning of this thing. The apes do get free, and in the course of the final battle, Caesar is injured, and he leads all his people to safety, and then right as he views the promised land, he succumbs to his wounds. Tell me that's not a Moses allegory. He's taken in by uh, an opposing nation, i.e., you know, the humans who killed his mother, he's sent into hiding at the uh, zoo thing. He breaks out, cre then creates his own people, and then they go into hiding. Then he becomes a leader figure and a warrior. And then at the end, he becomes, a del he, he endures another round of slavery, delivers his people, leads them to safety, and then dies. He, this is a per 
perfect Moses allegory. I mean, we I can't unstress that enough. And then we do have, you know, cont- a possibility of continuing movies because that little girl is adopted by my Maurice and her, she becomes and she is named Nova. And I'm not going to spoil how she gets the name and stuff, but it's beautiful because she becomes Maurice pretty much adopts her as his daughter because we never see him with a mate but he adopts nova as his daughter and it's again beautiful you forget that these are apes or dealing with humans you think of them just as characters as flesh and blood again it's going to sound weird talking about apes but you see the humanity in them and that's just again a testament to great storytelling when you can take your your mind out of the story and forget that you're watching a movie about apes who one of the ways they distract the guards is what do monkeys what are monkeys tended to tend to be known for yeah they even use that poop gag you know throwing poo as an effective tool and it's not you know you laugh but you need to laugh because you've seen all this stuff and the colonel gets his comeuppance but not in the way you think um i don't want to spoil it but he gets his comeuppance in a beautiful way and it proves that he is heart he is a fanatic to the very end and it's just it, it's it's an amazing shot it uh, amazing see, uh, uh, shot scene and At the end of it, we see pretty much what's left of the U.S. military completely wiped out. And we see all of the apes in their promised land. And they're assumingly going to flourish and grow and spread out. And then we will have the planet of the apes. Because even now, still after the third movie, it answered a question I always had. Well, this seems to be more apes of the Pacific Northwest than apes of, you know, the plant apes that would cover the whole planet. Well, that virus is also turning all the apes in the world intelligent as well. They find an ape from a zoo who is who is named Bad Ape and played by Steve Zahn, and it's just funny and also endearing. Uh, one or two jokes of his I didn't like too much, but it's just, it's so good. And so we see that, you know, the dominant civilization of the planet is changing from humanity to ape and it's and it ends both on a downbeat that the planet of the apes movies are known for but it also ends on a hopeful beat because we have cornelius the heir to caesar he'll rise up and become the next leader leader of the tribe it's just I want to see the next movie. I want to see how far ahead in the future they go. I want to see more development with Maurice and Nova's relationship as a father and daughter. I want to see how Caesar has the how his legacy is carried on because during this whole revenge quest, he keeps seeing flashes of Koba, the evil ape from the last movie, and. He, He's haunted by these images that he is becoming Koba. He's becoming what he fought so hard against in his quest for vengeance. And it's uh, this is just a well-done movie. <sighs> 
so that that's about uh, all I'm gonna talk about for now for this episode um <laughs> don't worry friends there's more coming I've got a lot to do a lot to look forward to I can't wait to get to them <sighs> it's good to be back and man I can't wait to talk to you about some of the stuff I've read some of the amazing stories I've seen and tangents are here to stay so no worries my friends so this is your good old buddy Aaron signing off take care friends tangents abound is a free audio podcast no money is made in the production or distribution of this show all audio clips used in the show are for education and review purposes only and are owned by their respective copyright holders and no infringement of any kind is intended the opinions of myself and any guests who I manage to kidnap, uh, or I mean invite, <laughs> to the show are solely our own opinions and probably should be taken with a huge grain of salt. Unless you're allergic to salt, in which case then you have my pity. If you would like to support the show and all the in- other incredible podcasts in the Two True Freaks Network, just visit twotruefreaks.com with the number two always spelled T-W-O and click the Amazon link on the site. Any purchase you make on Amazon through the link will drop a couple bits into our tip jar to help keep the lights on, and it doesn't cost you anything extra. There's also a PayPal link on the website if you wish to sponsor the show or any show on the network directly. So if you want to hear Tangents Abound presented by you, you can! You can find the show on Facebook by searching for the Two True Freaks podcast group, and you can leave me a comment, feedback, or angry rant, and I'll make sure to read it on the show unless otherwise notified. You can also find me on tangentsabound at gmail.com, as well as on Twitter as at A-H-E-N-L-E-Y 2011, or ahenley2011. You can also check out the Two True Freaks Cantina group where a bunch of geeks, nerds, and fanatics hang out talking about everything in pop geek culture. Thank you so much for listening to the show, and friends, in case I don't see you, have a great morning. Good afternoon, good evening, and good night. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to buy ourselves some snacks. <laughs>